Magnus Magnus Jabs Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. That is, when I record an episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, which is my main gig. But for these episodes of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, it's a little bit more freeform. Basically, whatever I feel like talking about, that's what gets talked about. And as it goes for today's episode, there are... <sighs> Look, with our fandoms, and I'm speaking maybe a bit presumptuously here, I'm assuming that this is true of, well, I don't know about everybody, but I think this is probably true of most of us. We're not necessarily equally enthused about everything at all times. You understand? Uh, Take me, for example. Over the course of the last, I guess it's been, at this point, year and a half. Over the course of the last year and a half or so, I've released, I want to say, something like 12 episodes about the Legion of Superheroes five years later, right? And let me think. Uh, in that same span of time, I've also released nowhere near 12 episodes, but I think quite a few episodes still of content related to the Halloween movie series, right? The Halloween franchise. At least a fair number of episodes about that. Here's the thing. I'm not necessarily equally enthused about the Legion of Superheroes and Halloween at the same time, you know? I call it the fanboy muse, and basically the way that I think that it works is that there's usually one thing that's really driving my fandom at any given moment. There are exceptions, but in the main, there's one thing I'm really, really into, and there's some relation between that and what I talk about, that is to say, what I release as episodes at any given time. And lately, just to kind of make sense of all of this stuff, lately, I've, I've really been getting into horror comics, horror movies, and all sorts of things basically in that vein, you know, sort of the the horror vein. Now, as obviously this is an area that it, it's not like I've never touched it before because as as I just said I've released episodes of this show about uh the uh, about the Halloween movie series but I would say that really Halloween at least historically that's that's the exception that proves the rule you understand um I guess what I'm saying is simply liking one thing doesn't mean you get to call yourself a fan of that entire genre. You know, the fact that I enjoy the Halloween movies doesn't... I've always thought that doesn't give me the right to say that I'm a horror fan, right? And I, that was true in the past. I certainly think it's still true now. But I have broadened my horizons a little bit. And... I think that's going to become a bit more apparent with upcoming episodes of 
Trinus Magnus Punches Reality and some of the things that are, that are going to be coming uh, starting in the summer. Uh, but at least for right now, where the rubber meets the road right now, <clears throat> is been watching a... I think maybe the best way to put it would be a lot of... Or at least quite a few. No, I don't know about a lot, but like a, quite a few uh, horror movies. And sometimes... Sometimes you... It's not that you dislike something, but it, you don't completely connect to a movie or to a TV show or a song or whatever. You know, you don't, like I say, you don't actively dislike it, but you don't have the same engagement with it that other people do. And I think historically speaking, like I say, that's definitely true of me when it comes to horror movies. And in life, in life, it's never too late, you know? In life, there is always the possibility that you're going to learn some new thing about yourself that helps you put some aspect of your identity or your fandom or your psychology, your personality, your business acumen, fucking whatever. Put some part of your identity into some kind of better or clearer context. You understand? And in my case, the realization that I had is that I actually really like horror movies, but there's there are things that I want from most horror movies that most horror movies are simply not prepared to give to me. All right? Again, we've all got preferences. Everybody. But... When I start thinking about a horror movie, what do I want from a horror movie? Well, for me, uh, what any horror movie rises and falls on is the mood of it. You know, like the tone of it, the, the atmosphere of it. And so the conflict that I've always had is that, you know, you're watching this scary movie and the it looks like you've got just the right tone and it's got just the right style to it and everything and then the characters start fucking talking and that's usually the beginning of the end for me right maybe i'm all alone on this i don't know but i don't need dense and rich characters i don't need an intricate and nuanced and layered plot or anything like that. I mean, all I really need is... I guess what most what most people would consider to be the, the more incidental type stuff. You know what I mean? I guess what I'm looking for is stuff like uh, the night sky and it's lit up by this big, giant, bright, full moon and the moonlight is shining down on this evil-looking gothic castle. And the vampire guy, he's, he's stalking uh, these innocent people, and they're going to be his victims. And, you know, I don't need these people to talk. I, fuck, I don't even need them to have names. All I really need is for everything to look cool. You know, and basically, just as much as possible, just skip over all this bullshit with people talking to each other and having character development. I mean, basically, everything that I look for in a more conventional type of movie... It's almost a turnoff in the horror genre. I mean, 
for me, again, the horror genre, it's supposed to be about the, the, how spooky everything looks, you know, and, and, uh, this creepy, menacing vibe to everything, and it's, I, I, at least for me, for my engagement with these things, it's almost counterproductive. Not quite, but it's almost counterproductive to me to have lots of scenes of, you know, drama and dialogue and all that fucking bullshit. You know, stuff that you kind of soak up in any other type of movie. It actually kind of works against my participation in horror. And if you listen to any of my... If you listen to any... Let me just get a sip off my Coke here. And yes, I should say that this is this is Coke. Circumstances being what they are. I don't have any more orange vanilla Coke in the house. Uh, all I've been able to find at a HEB just up the street from here is uh, just the plain, like, regular original coke you know so that's all they've got in the fucking store right now so that's what i have no choice but to get so a little bit of vapor too so <clears throat> now like i was saying if you go back and you listen to any of the episodes that i've done about halloween movies that is to say the halloween series of films you know michael myers and all that you go back and you listen to those, and what you find is that the beginning of each episode, it doesn't begin with that uh, that classic Halloween movie main title what, on the piano with the synthesizer going in the background. It it, it does not include that. You know, that's not or it, it that's included, but that's not how it starts. How it starts is this more kind of chilling uh, piano type of thing. It begins uh, kind of slowly, and then, you know, the synthesizer comes in, and it sort of builds up. There's a crescendo to it. And in the movie, the moment where that, where that music gets played, it's basically the moment when Laurie Strode finally realizes something's up, right? She doesn't know completely what's going on. She just knows that something is going on, and so she walks down the street, crosses the street, she's going over to the to the neighbor's house to find out what's going on with Annie, and that's when shit kind of hits the fan in the bracket household, right, with Lori involved, and she finds all the dead bodies and all that stuff, but just before that happens, there's this moment, like I say, where she decides she needs to find out just what the fuck's going on here, and she does, and that's when that music starts playing. And that's really, honestly, odd as it may seem, that's actually my favorite single moment of the movie. Because there's no dialogue, nobody's talking, there's not even really much story as such happening, like, in that moment. Now, some story shit's about to happen, like I say. She's about to realize that there's a maniacal killer on the loose. But she doesn't know that yet. She's just trying to get information, trying to figure out well, what's going on here. And, like I say, that's probably my favorite single moment in the movie, just because it's all about the music, it's all about the lighting, and, and the mood of everything, and how cool everything looks, and how spooky, and all that stuff. And it 
that's why I chose that. Plus, I just, let's face it, I want to be different from, you know, from every other asshole out there who may be talking about Halloween movies. I want my episodes to sound different from theirs. If for no other reason than, hey, at least, you know, I'm not saying the same bullshit that everybody else is saying. So, there you go. You know, it's all part of a wider marketing, like, publicity type thing. I don't know. It made sense at the time. That's my justification for it. So, anyway, and so that's why my Halloween episodes begin with that piano thing rather than, or I guess like Lori's search for answers thing. I forget what the name of the track is on the soundtrack album, but there's a reason why those Halloween episodes begin with that piece of music rather than, let's face it, the more obvious and more famous piece of music. That's just my favorite moment in the movie. And when I think of Halloween, that's Oddly enough, that's, I don't know if that's the first thing. That's definitely one of the first things that I, that I that I think about, right? That's what I want from a horror movie. I want something that's got, I would say, really minimal, minimal narrative, minimal character development. God knows, minimal dialogue. I want to watch something that is completely dependent, totally dependent upon... The style of it, the cinematography, like I say, the the uh, direction, all that stuff. You know, that's the stuff that I that I show up to to a horror movie in order to get. And it's just not very many horror movies that are interested in in giving me that. That doesn't mean, like I say, that I have no engagement with horror films, because indeed I do. Halloween, uh, the Halloween series of films, like I'm saying, there's those. Um, the obvious, uh, hammer horror films, you know, the horror of, uh, of, uh, Dracula, uh, Curse of Frankenstein, the mummy, you know, all that fun stuff. Good movies. All of them. The Lost Boys. Good movies. All of them. But are they right up my alley? And the answer to that Honestly, is somewhat no. I mean, that doesn't mean I get nothing out of them. I do. But at the same time, I, they're just not... They're, sooner or later, you stick around long enough, sooner or later, there's going to be a deal breaker for me. And so that kind of leaves me in the awkward position of, well, what's your favorite scary movie? Well it's hard to find very many good ones that I even like trying to play favorites beyond that. <laughs> that's just too much to ask. So that was basically the stalemate that I found myself in really for a lot of years there. And to finally bring all of this, this is a lot of table setting, by the way. I mean, uh, it looks like I'm passing the 15 minute mark here and I still haven't, uh, I've spent this whole time basically setting the table on saying I got a yen to to watch Nosferatu, right? And by that, I mean the 1992 original Nosferatu. And guys, I got to tell you, that movie pretty well addressed every major complaint that I have with most horror movies, just because of the fact that it's a silent movie, which that itself is kind of a misleading type of a thing. It's not really silent. It just doesn't have recorded dialogue, but <laughs> plenty of music. And basically, movies like that, especially horror movies like that, uh, 
so much has to be conveyed uh, visually because yeah you've got inner titles in in silent film uh, or silent films that will have little bits of dialogue on them but guys you got to keep in mind you can't have an intertitle for every single piece of dialogue in a silent film i mean w the sign of a novice is when they have an intertitle every 10 seconds or i would say even every few minutes you know you maybe get i i would think that the magic number of intertitles with dialogue in a silent film that runs about an hour and a half i would think probably the magic number it's got to be like 30 or something like that you know if it's much less than that then information is is not being conveyed that needs to be conveyed if it's much more than that it's like you're expecting the audience to read a book as opposed to watch a film. So what the fuck? So I would think that probably, like I say, the magic number of intertitles in a silent movie that runs about an hour and a half, you're probably looking at 30 or about 30. I mean, 25, maybe up to 40, but basically the safe number is, I would imagine, going to be 30, right? So sitting there watching this stuff. And I've got, because at that time I did have orange vanilla Coke in the house, had my orange vanilla Coke, I had a cup of milk, I had hot buttery popcorn, and I'm just sitting there munching and in, enjoying this movie. And it's like, finally, finally, I found a movie in Nosferatu that pretty much addresses every major complaint that I have about horror movies. Yeah, 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 nothing's perfect. Nosferatu certainly is not perfect. For example, I think that whole plague thing, you know, the rats bringing the plague to, to the village and all that, that really is one story beat too many for that movie. It just kind of drags things out unnecessarily, I think. You know, and I get it. You know, without that little subplot... You could argue that the narrative of the movie is actually going to run kind of thin <clears throat> and the audience is going to get restless if there's not some second peril that's going on or some reinforcement of the threat that Count Orlock represents. And I get that. I'm just saying that, at least for me, I didn't really get into that aspect of the film too much. <clears throat> Nevertheless... You know, it was it, it was a lot of fun. It was, and just by virtue of the fact that it's a silent film, it can't be too dependent upon uh, character development. It can't be too dependent upon dialogue. It has got to look spooky as fuck. It's got to have the atmosphere right. It's basically it's it's really got to be firing on all cylinders here, you know, and. <clears throat> So, in the main, I'm going to get another sip off my Coke. And some more vapor, because, hey, why not? Anyway, so, in the main, though, this was just a really enjoyable movie. I mean, again, yes quibbles the plague thing you know i definitely do have some quibbles 
But this was just a really solid and really enjoyable film. You know, I just, I, I, I really dug it. And one of the other things that I've kind of come to understand is, you know, I don't really need to see a sexy vampire, you know, because when you think about what a hellish existence that would be, there's nothing sexy or uh, charming uh, 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 about that, you know, like, an, like meeting a vampire IRL, like if there really was such a thing as a vampire and you met one, I mean, I can only imagine that like if Van Helsing was a real guy, as much as anything, yes, he is disgusted by the sheer existence of vampires, but as much as anything, I think he would want to put a vampire out of business permanently as much out of pity as anything else. I mean, just what a fucking miserable existence that would be. And you really get a sense of that with uh, Count Orlock. There is nothing sexy about Count Orlock. He's spooky as fuck. And honestly, that, there's a sense in which that does kind of, it, it sort of works against the, some of the credibility of, uh, of the film, because I'm sorry, but whether it's Nosferatu or the remake Nosferatu, the vampire, either one of those, it pretty much, neither of them pretty much work without you being able to accept that, I forget the name of the character, but basically it's Jonathan Harker. I mean, let's just, let's call a spade a spade there. Uh, pretty much those things don't work unless you can somehow rationalize the fact that Jonathan Harker has basically a Darwin Award winning worthy just lack of self-preservation. You know, this guy has just no survival instinct whatsoever. Because, look, I don't know how things work for the rest of you, but... If I go into a meeting with somebody, I'm I'm in there, I'm in the room, and then the guy comes in and he looks like Count Orlock, guess what? In the meeting, right? I'm not going to stick around and talk to the guy. It's like, I'm, I'm just, you know, the time between like me laying eyes on Count Orlock as he comes into the room and me noping right out of there can be measured in nanoseconds, I'm sure. And again, if... If Harker doesn't have, like, just basically almost a death wish, you've got no movie. So, basically, the narrative needs him to stick around in the castle for at least a little while. And it also requires us to believe that he's not in the least put off by Count Orlok's appearance. You know, the fangs and everything. I mean, it's just fucking weird looking, you know? And in a weird kind of way, I mean, you could almost compare it to scully and the x-files from the standpoint of like what the fuck is it gonna take for you to finally believe in this after everything you've seen what if this isn't convincing to you what is you know and so anyway but like i say i mean the narrative needs it to be that way so whatever i roll with it and i mean i guess i could no prize it from the standpoint that uh both of the nosferatu movies the original and the remake they're, they basically take place in, actually, you know what? I was about to say that they take place in the early 1920s, but that's not true. That's when Nosferatu came out, but I don't think that's actually when it was set. I think it was actually supposed to be set in the 1840s, which 
blows my entire premise out of the water. But what I was about to say is that, you know, if what we're talking about here is 1920s Germany, yeah, you know what? I'm, I could see somebody in Jonathan Harker's position being desperate enough uh, to to get paid in, you know, in... The, in Germany was already going through a, a serious depression at that point. So yeah, my point is I could see somebody like Harker being that desperate. Except it doesn't. It still doesn't make sense because no, that's that's when the movie was. That's when Nosferatu was created, but that's not actually when it was set. Now that I think about it, it was actually I think it was supposed to be set in like the 1840s or 1850s or something. So yeah. Uh, so much for my premise. I got nothing then. If that's not it, then I I've got nothing. But whatever. Point is. The narrative needs for things to be that way, so I'm willing to roll with it. It's like at the same time, I do have to acknowledge this. This really doesn't make any kind of sense at all, but whatever. I'm I'm willing to roll with it. Fine. He's going to stay in the castle in spite of the fact that doing so is obviously suicide, or at least reckless disregard for one's own life, which maybe it comes to the same. I, mean, I don't know. So all in all, and this is my point, all in all, Nosferatu, I actually got a whole lot more out of that than I was originally expecting, and certainly more than I'd hoped for. And so it's like at the same time, I don't... I don't know as I feel comfortable necessarily saying that I'm like a big fan of this movie and will watch it often. Uh, Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy of films... That's like an annual rewatch for me, guys. I mean, you you need to know that. The East Rail 177 trilogy, it looks like that's becoming an annual rewatch for me. And let me think, what else is an annual? Well, anyway, point is, I've got movies that I rewatch on an annual basis, and I don't know as... I don't know as Nosferatu is necessarily going to be one of them, but it is nevertheless still really good, and I... As I say, I mean, this just gives me what I've wanted from uh, horror movies for a pretty long time now. And so, for that reason alone, it's just because it doesn't try to be anything more than it is. I really enjoy it. Now, the comparisons between the original from 1922 and the remake from 1979... The comparisons really are inevitable, and so I think a, it's a very relevant question to ask which of the two is better. And in terms of which is a better film, I'm actually tempted to say that Nosferatu, the, the vampire, which is to say the remake, is actually the superior film. But in terms of what I'm looking for in a horror movie, like I say, you know, spooky visuals and no fucking bullshit character development and all that. It, I, it, everything goes back to, to the original for me. So I guess when it comes to that, if this becomes an annual rewatch for me, which I'm not at all promising, but if this ever becomes an annual rewatch for me, it's actually kind of up for grabs which one it's going to be. You know, do I want something that's a really awesome film or do I want something that's a bit more of what I want specifically from the horror genre so I don't know flip a coin on that one so anyway it's tempting to say that I may revisit Nosferatu at some point in the future 
and honestly, I can't really promise that I will. I may, but maybe you should get comfortable with the idea that this is my first and last word about about Nosferatu. But just to kind of bring up something that that I touched upon earlier, I said before that what I want from horror movies are just such the easiest examples, so that's maybe the easiest thing to point to. But I guess really what I want from horror as a genre is, like I say, uh, just the spookiness of it, uh, uh, of everything, you know? How scary everything looks, and how menacing and dark and all that, you know? And me being me, you know that sooner or later comics are going to become an element in all of this. So I don't know when it's ever going to be possible. Hopefully soon, but I, mean, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to ever be possible, but I did finally find a comic book that, at least in my opinion, really does go very far out of its way to to soak up all of that horror movie largesse. And uh, I think what I'm going to do on this, actually, is keep you guys guessing about what exactly this this horror uh, comic book is, because I do want it to be a surprise. When it happens, I'm going to make sure to mention the fact that this, this comic book is what I had in mind. It's an ongoing comic book. It ran for a pretty long time, so there's going to be more than enough issues to talk about. I doubt I'll make it through the entire run of that comic book, but uh, I do at least want to knock out several issues of it. So, but I did, and this is the point, I did finally find a comic book that is, it, it is what I want from horror comics in the main, you know, finally found that comic book. I've been hearing about it for years. Finally got around to reading it, and man, it's everything I heard about. It's it's that good, and especially the art is just perfect. So, at some point or another, again, I know not when, but at some point or another, I am going to talk for sure about that about that comic book. So, I guess that's going to be something to look forward to. So, anyway, but I think that's pretty much it for me for right now. So, bye everybody. I will see you next time.
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>